Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, a weekly podcast illuminating issues in agricultural and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are addressed using a science-based approach with the goal of driving discovery to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulton. Hi, it's uh, me, Kevin. It's a Talking Biotech podcast today, and today's a really interesting one that I really was looking forward to for a long time. Today we're going to talk about bananas. Now, we discussed banana domestication back in episode 8. We talked to Dr. Heslop Harrison about genetic origins, breeding, uh, some other really interesting facts about bananas. But the purpose of today's podcast, I want you to think beyond that yellow thing that we get in the grocery store or that green thing that turns to yellow and then turns brown. Um, If you're like me, um, I really like bananas. And the problem with bananas is you buy, you know, a a hand of bananas, as they call them, of that. Uh, You um, get that set of green bananas and they're in the zone for like one day, you know, in the perfect banana zone. And so, um, I'm really off topic. I had like a whole plan here as to what I was going to discuss, and they wandered into one of my things that I just can't stand. Uh, they all ripen at the same time. And I started to take the ones, like the single ones that would get put down at the bottom, and kind of create a little banana rainbow so that every day I had one banana in the banana zone. One thing that I've learned from Valerie Bertinelli, and I don't know why this was on TV or where I was or what the circumstances were, but she was talking about how. You know, people waste so many bananas. You can cut up the banana flesh, get rid of the peel, cut up the banana flesh, put it in freezer bags, and keep them that way. And it works. So then you can have frozen bananas for things. Anyway, back to the podcast. I want you to think about bananas uh, in their context as a world staple crop and a really important export for a lot of countries in the developing world. Um, Bananas are the eighth most important food crop in the world. And in the uh, developing world, in terms of food security, they're the fourth most important. So if you think about bananas out of the context of the industrialized world grocery store and that you know yellow, green, brown thing, um, bananas are really, really critical to world food security. 90% of bananas, or about 90%, are eaten locally. So you see these tremendous plantations and the export that goes on to bring bananas to the industrialized world. We know we get a lot of bananas here. 
That's 10% of how much is eaten. And uh, everything else is a daily food staple. And when we talk about bananas, we're thinking about this thing we get in the grocery store in, in North America, this Cavendish dessert banana. And that's the way we need to think about that. That's a dessert banana. And that's grown on these extensive plantations in Costa Rica, Belize, Ecuador, Panama, Honduras, down in that area. Um, it also is the same family as things like um, plantains. So we can think about plantains as a slightly more starchy banana that we can use for cooking. And it's delicious. There are other types of bananas also that we think of more broadly as um, cooking bananas. That's about 25% of what's grown on the planet. That's a majority of what's consumed in the developing world. And um, lesser known dessert types. So you have these other kinds of small bananas that people also consume um, as, a, uh, as, as a fruit. The problem is that there are tremendous threats to banana production. One of the big issues about bananas is that they are truly monocultures. And we talk about people, oh, monocultures in corn, monocultures in soy, oh. But that's nothing compared to what we have in terms of banana. You see, bananas are all clonally propagated. They're actually an herb, and they're clonally propagated from a foundational plant that's that has a number of qualities, including resistance to disease and superior fruit quality and yields. So once you find that, it's very difficult to breed bananas. So when you get that one good clone, now you propagate lots of it. And you don't propagate them by seeds because they're triploid. They have a, uh, an extra set of chromosomes. So they're sterile. But that's what makes them seedless. So you see the problem. In order to have a seedless banana that you can't propagate by seeds, you now have to propagate by vegetative cuttings, which opens the door to a whole plethora of different diseases uh, to work their way around the genetic mechanisms that make them immune. And today there's a whole suite of different banana diseases that we can think about. Uh, things like black cicatoga, uh, fusarium wilt is a major issue, banana xanthomonas wilt, uh, banana bungee top virus, which is a virus, viral disease, banana virus, um, no, no, banana streak virus is another one, and um, lots of pests like weevils, nematodes, all that kind of good stuff. The fusarium wilt is really a major issue, and today we'll talk to Dr. Lena Tripathi. Um, she will tell us mostly about xanthomonas wilt and ways to combat that on the African continent. But just to give you some more background on fusarium, fusarium is the uh, pathogen, fusarium oxysporum, that killed the favorite banana called Gros Michel, or Big Mike. Um, that banana uh, was destroyed. It's the one that maybe your grandparents will talk about as a very fruity, uh, sweet banana. Um, that one was destroyed by the pathogen. And it was replaced by Cavendish. And currently there's something called Tropical Race 4, which is a type of Fusarium uh, oxysporum, that um, is uh, threatening Cavendish. And it's very hard to control. It lives in the soil. It's easily spread by, uh, by even a pair of boots. Uh, if you don't have impeccable hygiene on a banana plantation, you can spread these diseases. One of the most interesting things that is happening is that tropical race for Fusarium oxysporum is a clone. A clone that's killing a clone. <laughs> so the clone of the uh, pathogen, all genetically identical, a monoculture of a pathogen, right? is now killing a uh, very uh, monolithic crop. A little touche. So the question is, why would we use genetic engineering to solve problems in banana? 
And traditional breeding is inherently difficult. Bananas have low fertility. Um, it's difficult to make crosses work. It, it's, it's really a, a tricky business. So scientists have been taking the elite bananas that have already been bred and are simply adding a gene or two. And that's been happening since the 1990s. Uh, they've installed nematode resistance, the vitamin A synthesis that we talked about back in episode uh, three, I think. But most of them have to do with disease. They've installed everything from lysozyme, which is an enzyme found in tears that has antibacterial properties, uh, to plant defense genes called defensins. And maybe some the most famous is XA21, which is a disease resistance gene from rice which was identified from a wild species of rice um, back in the 90s. And that seems to have some good effects in bananas as well. Perhaps the biggest threat is this uh, banana xanthomonas wilt, at least in the lakes region of Africa, which is like the Burundi, Rwanda, um, Uganda, Kenya area. The big issue is that there's no commercial chemical control. You also don't have resistant cultivars. So in order to grow bananas, you're really dependent upon horticulture and good practices on, on, on the farm. And it's also extremely labor-intensive. So this is why banana disease is so important and why genetic engineering has a unique opportunity to maybe be a very strong game-changer in that particular area. So just um, to remember then, bananas are a really important world food crop, number of pathogens that affect it, and very limited natural sources of resistance, and you can't use chemical controls in most cases. Uh, the big deal is, is that for every single banana disease that's been uh, initiated or that's been identified, there has been research into and solutions found in genetic engineering. So all of these crops, there's quite a few of them that are being grown in research tracks all over Africa. The governments are participating in their uh, trials as well as their development. So it's an exciting time to think about bananas and it's exciting time for bananas to become an important first step in the wider spread adoption of good genetic engineering technologies to solve problems for people. So off today in today's interview. Today on the Talking Biotech podcast I'm very pleased to be able to spend time with Dr. Lena Tripathi. Lena is the Deputy Director of East African Hub of IITA, which is the International Institute for Tropical Agriculture. It's one of the 15 CJ, CGIR centers. Uh, she's leading the transgenic research program there, and that comes out of Nairobi, Kenya. So welcome to Talking Biotech Podcast, Dr. Tripathi. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. So why is IITA interested in bananas? Why is it uh, important to the region? As you mentioned, you know, IITA is one of the CG center based in Africa. Um, and then we work on four thematic areas, the biotechnology and uh, genetic improvement, natural resource management, social science and plant health. And actually the IITA's main focus is to develop solution to re reduce poverty, increase food security, improve health and nutrition. And we focus on uh, crops and that includes banana and plantain, cassava, cowpea, soybean, maize, yam and cocoa and that's why I'm working on bananas because that's IIT's mandate crop but also banana is very important staple food crop for Africa particularly for the East Africa so East Africa actually produce almost like one-third of the world production of, of banana 
uh, and uh, when i said is a staple food is more like you know rice in the other country so for example in uganda you know one person can consume up to like 1.6 kilos of bananas per day so it's not like a fruit crop is is a really food for them and are you talking about the kind of the just to clarify what we think of in the west is like the dessert banana or are you talking more like the starchy plantains um, so i'm talking about both when i said banana it includes plantain as well uh, but in in uganda there is a a special type of bananas called matoke so those are cooking bananas so we are talking so now when we talk about bananas that includes desert bananas uh, cooking bananas and as well as plantains and can you tell me a little bit about what the average farmer in this region what is a plantation like is it a really small holder operation with maybe just a few acres or are these really tremendous acreage like we see in uh, south or central america um actually in africa the banana plantations are mainly the small holder so it's run by the small holder farmers is not like a big commercial farm and what are the major limitations that those farmers face Uh, so you know the diseases and pest is definitely the the major limitation but on top of that you know the uh, the decreasing fertility of soil and then the other inputs like you know the fertilizer the irrig- irrigation those are also the the the, the components but the major major uh, limitation is actually the diseases and pest And so do farmers in those areas have access to chemical pesticides and other types of controls? No, the farmers as I said, you know, the the banana is normally grown by smallholder farmers, so um it's very difficult for them to afford uh, the chemicals. So they don't have access to chemicals. So I guess maybe one approach to to solve these problems for these farmers would have plants that would protect themselves and what are some of the major diseases that that these farmers are facing So the farmers um so in in if you talk about Africa so like I think I'm I'm like focusing more on Africa so we have uh, fungal diseases like fusarium uh, oxysporum so that's fusarium wilt um also black cigatoka um and then there is an, a relatively newer bacterial disease uh, threat that's that's xanthomonas wilt caused by xanthomonas campestris pathovirusorum there are also viral diseases like banana bunchy top virus and also banana streak viruses then there are pests like nematodes um, and as well as weevils so these are some of the major uh, diseases and pests And it's really amazing the the spectrum of different uh, diseases that you see that threaten banana. How much of that is due to a lack of varieties that these are really uh, more than most crops, certainly monocultures are coming as clones in these plantations. I will not agree to your point because I think in when you talk about Africa is not really monoculture because you know it's not grown by commercial big big farmers, you know. so you will find lot of diversity lot of varieties of banana and plantains there you know so these are uh, some of the pathogens are like is like from ages some other new pathogens and then then because of the climate change and all you know so the pathogen uh, uh, is is like spreading fast like for example xanthomonas wilt was 
not there long ago you know it was okay it was there in ethiopia but it was quite quite confined um but once it's it's jumped to uganda uh, it was reported in 2001 since then it's spreading quite fast in in east africa and it doesn't affect only one or two varieties it affects all the varieties grown in east africa um so i think that's the one example i gave you you know it's really good to know that there's more genetic diversity than previously thought and what how about how many different varieties are grown and are these clonal varieties or is this a heterogeneous population so there are a lot of varieties you know i cannot give you exact number but then you know if you talk about the desert bananas then then yes it's like quite dominated by cavendish and also there is another apple bananas called sicalendisi but in terms of the cooking bananas as well as plantain there are a lot of varieties and then uh, the varieties are actually depending upon what farmers prefer in a, in their own farm so it's quite diverse and not all of them are are the clonal ones okay i i guess the other interesting part so let's go to we'll weave this back in in a minute when you talk about mm-hmm. xanthomonas wilt what are some of the current solutions from a genetic engineering standpoint so for the uh, for the genetic in- means okay uh, the short term solution is actually to apply the cultural practices you know so that means following the phytosanitary uh, practices um but those are not very stable solution because not all farmers can afford doing that uh but in terms of the genetic engineering so we were trying to find the solution actually my lab has been involved for several years developing these solutions and we tried several different genes um so we we tested uh, two different genes from sweet pepper they're called plant ferritoxin like protein pflp and another one is hypersensitive response assisting protein hrap so those two genes we have uh, attested so we developed the transgenic bananas using those two genes independently and we have tested the plants initially in the laboratory conditions and in the glasshouse condition um and then after that the promising lines were tested also in the confined field trials in Uganda the another genes we tested also is axe21 uh from rice and as well as the nh1 So so far actually I will say there are four different genes which has been tested for providing resistance to xanthomonas wilt. And I've read a lot of those papers and it's really exciting to see that there are a number of solutions that can target the same pathogen. And uh the the pictures online and I I maybe I'll make the references available to the listener. But if you look at the pictures like in the Rice XA21 paper um uh you you can really see the difference between the transgenic and control plants along with like the stem cross sections where you uh you know look at the uh the bacterial ooze that comes out of them uh, it's really dramatic and i didn't know if uh so what, what are you looking at opportunities to stack these traits into one genetic background is that currently the thinking uh, yes so we are much more advanced actually using this flp and hrap gene 
So we have proof of concept at the field level. So we have tested um, transgenic bananas expressing PFLP gene uh, as well as the the HRAP gene independently. Um, and then these field trials has been uh, conducted in Uganda. We have tested for uh, like five generation these plants uh, in the in Uganda under field condition and then they are holding the resistance very well. Uh, but as you know, you know, bacteria evolve very fast. So there is always a risk while uh, using uh, single gene uh, resistance. So that's why we are stacking PFLP and HRAP gene together. We have already developed plants by stacking these two genes together. We have recently published that paper as well. Um, so what we see is we don't see any synergistic effect by combining these two genes. But what we want to test in the field is whether that can provide a durable resistance. And that's yeah. good news because I know many cases with especially xanthomonas where you look like you have very good chemical control, but because just of the numbers of bacteria that it does work around the transgenic controls very quickly. And uh, do you find that, uh, so do farmers who are, well, let me go back and say this again, but during the trials, are you seeing examples where you're seeing resistance around your transgenic solution? Um, so actually, so far in our uh, five uh, generation trial, so we did actually two confined field trials. And in none of the trial, we actually saw any any single plant breaking resistance. Oh, that's good news. But 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 then I think I I will say that's still too early to say anything. You know, means like and then we have also tested those ones at one location. So now what we are doing is we are we are also planning to test in Kenya. We are starting a trial pretty soon, maybe in uh, by mid this year, and we are also going multi-location in Uganda. So I think that will give us more clear answer about you know about the durable resistance as well. And I think if you are if you are interested to learn more about the PFLP and HRAP, we have several uh, publication. Actually, our field trial results are published in Nature Biotech in 2014. And I guess the maybe the question I should have asked you up front is, what does Xanthomonas wilt look like on the banana plantation, and how bad is it as a problem in your region? Uh, so. The the uh, means I think when the plants get uh, infected, the the early symptoms are actually wilting of leaves. That's how you will see. Uh, but then uh, then after that, you know, if uh, this is like an insect uh, born disease, so it spreads through insect, and the insect normally infect the plants through the flowers. So if the insect has gone through the flower, you will also see the shriveling of the flower. And if the plant is mature enough, then you'll see um, the immature ripening of flower, uh, sorry, immature ripening of, of bananas, the fruit. And then uh, if you cut the fruit, you will see the fruits has the, this black scar inside. So it doesn't have any edible quality. The disease is spread very fast. So once the disease is in the field, it will take only few months to wipe off the field. And and then there is absolute ill loss. So it can take like a few months to 
uh, get, get farmers will not get any output of that field. I'm not saying the whole country has that, but what, what I'm saying is like if that same field once the disease goes in, yeah. Um, so the disease was initially was in Ethiopia, but then after it has come to Uganda, now it has spread uh, to different countries. So now it's, it's there in DR Congo, in Kenya, Burundi, Rwanda, and Tanzania, and it affects all different cultivars. So that's why it's it's like considered as the the most serious threat to the banana plantation in East Africa. And what about fungal diseases? I know you mentioned fusarium, which is causing problems worldwide in different forms. But what yeah. is fusarium like in Africa? And what are some of the major symptoms and how bad is that spreading regionally? So uh, at moment, you know, we have like a fusarium wilt. Um, you know that that one is everywhere, the fusarium world, which affects gross Michel variety and also the Sucalindese. Uh, both the cultivars are very, very susceptible. But then uh, uh, the tropical race four is at moment is only in one country in Mozambique, is not in other countries in, in Africa. And there are a lot of varieties which are actually resistant to to uh, fusarium means fork race one and race two and that's what is in mainly in the countries so like for example the matoke varieties are quite resistant the plantains are also quite resistant to fusarium wilt uh, but we don't know what will happen when if the tropical race four um, spreads from mozambique to the other countries so it's becoming actually a quite um, sensitive issue you know to find out the solution for uh, for the a tropical race four. And how is tropical race four spread? I think that the disease, uh, so fusarium is a soil bond. So it can, you know, it is spreads through the soil, it is spreads through the, the planting material. Means all the disease, even the bacterial disease also is spread through the planting material. But, but bacterial disease is not a soil bond, but fusarium is a soil bond disease. So, you know, it can, you know, even from the shoes, you know, you can spread the pathogen. And and the another thing for fusarium um, is the pathogen can survive in the soil for a long time uh, in, in comparison to the bacterial pathogen because the bacterial pathogen can only survive up to maximum of up to six months if the banana debris is not there. I've heard a lot about the uh, extreme levels of horticultural hygiene that need to be practiced on certain plantations because of uh, issues like fusarium and uh, it seems really extreme that you know constantly maintaining uh, plant material keeping the dead material off the ground um, constantly cleaning your tools how extreme is it like what are some of the more extreme cases so I think if I give you the example of the bacterial world you know the the uh, management uh, using these horticultural practices uh, is quite laborious because you know as as soon as the farmer sees the symptom you know they need to uproot the plant you know banana plant is quite huge you know so removing that and and then then every time you know cleaning the the tools um so all these practices are quite labor intensive and all 100% farmers needs to follow that because if like one farmer is following and the neighboring farmer is not following 
so then diseases like bacteria world which is spreads through as well as through insects the disease still goes to the farmer who is even practicing that so i think that's the challenge uh, because of the labor intensiveness not all the farmers uh, follow the cultural practices and what is black sicketoga it sounds like another really uh, nasty disease over there yeah is is a fungal disease caused by microsphera so you see uh, you see like a black spots on the leaves and it's so that means this the the leaf area for the photosynthesis gets reduced so the plant has the the lower yields and the other one that i i see commonly in the literature is banana bunchy top virus is there a good control for the virus so banana bunchy top virus um it's also yes you are right the banana bunchy top virus is also a big problem not only in africa worldwide so wherever there is banana particularly the cavendish but also the plantains um and uh, uh, there is also no resistant varieties for banana bunchy top virus so you 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 I means i think right now um we have a project actually in collaboration with uh, Queensland University of Technology in Australia where we are developing uh, the solution to banana bunchy top virus using the transgenic approach and i guess that leads me to the next logical question so you've talked about really four diseases that are strongly impacting bananas or have the potential to have very strong impacts on a food staple in Africa and how accepting mm-hmm. are so I, I know that your work is accelerated very well in demonstrating the efficacy of transgenic approaches, but how excited are the governments to implement these technologies? Uh, so I think what I'll say is like you know the a team of socioeconomists has done some ex ante impact analysis, uh, which also has the component on adoption. Uh, and that study clearly says that the rate of adoption is quite high so once these varieties but i'm, I'm so okay i'm focusing more on the xanthomonas wilt that's what the study was about gm bananas resistant to xanthomonas wilt and and then the adoption will be somewhere like between 20 to 70% uh, after the release of the variety and reaching up to 100% in in few years time depending upon the country so the the country which is hit most with the disease will have the uh, higher adoption rate uh, but then you know that you know not all countries has the by safety law in place so that's the big challenge well, what is the bio safety law which allows you to commercialize the gm crop uh so you have to have by safety law in the country in order to commercialize the gm crop and which are the countries that currently have that law in place so kenya has that law in place uh, and and then kenya is affected with this disease as well means there are several countries where this law is in place i guess um occasionally we hear about we hear about pushback against the um deployment of these technologies in africa and are there uh, is there really opposition like active opposition especially from western individuals or western organizations that's happening on the ground in uh, in places like Kenya uh miss okay definitely you know the uh, there are some 
effect with the from the western ball but i will not say that's like a critical factor here well, that's good news so it seems like the um that is it do you think it's because these are technologies that are coming from um organizations like iita and you, you know your laboratory and aren't being commercialized from major corporations or or are they being uh, commercialized by major corporations uh, so, uh, you see, we, uh, I means IIT is not working alone on these projects. You know, we are working with national partners. Uh, so on all our projects, we have national partners. And then this technology is like when developed in-house, I will say. Uh, so like, for example, developed by Ugandans for Uganda. So I think that has much more support from the, from the government in comparison to when you're bringing the technology from outside of Africa. Yeah, I agree, and I think this is really exciting. And you read a lot more lately, especially from African authors, about you know letting Africa solve Africa's problems and not rely on outsiders to uh, come in and do things that it can do itself. And it's been really exciting to hear about the technology explosion that's been happening in places like like Kenya uh, to address the problems of food security on the continent. So that that's uh, something that I see growing from my perspective. Can you give us an idea about how that infrastructure is growing in places like Kenya? Um, so, okay, so I'm based at, at, at Becca Hub. So this is a facility which is like a center of excellence. It's hosted by... Uh, one of the CG Center called International Livestock Research Institute. And, and that's really a very, very nice facility. It's, it's actually equivalent to the lab in anywhere in the developed countries. Um, and so we also build a lot of capacity. It means that's like one of the, I will say, uh, mandate for CG centers, CGIR institutes that we build local capacity. So on our projects, we do the human capacity. We take, we train a lot of students and, and the scientific staff. Um, so I will say that even the infrastructure is, is coming up uh, very, uh, very strongly, not only in Kenya, but uh, in Uganda as well. So in Uganda, actually NARO, which is the National Agriculture Research Organization has uh, in their two different centers, they have very nice uh, biotech facility to conduct uh, uh, transgenic research. And I think Ethiopia is also coming up in that line, you know, like on, on one of our projects actually uh, at EIR, uh, Ethiopian Agriculture uh, Inst uh, uh, Research Institute also is building the capacity for transgenic research. So if all goes really well, when is the soonest that these products could be available for commercialization? Uh, so the GM banana for Zentomonas Wilt, our plan is that the, the, the first product will be released by, by 2020 in um, either in Kenya or Uganda or in both countries. That's pretty exciting. Is there a pipeline that follows with the other solutions uh, shortly after? Uh, yes, actually, the, the project which we are not developing, I'm not involved in that project. I think the project uh, uh, led by uh, James Dale from uh, Queensland University of Technology in Australia, I think they are developing this biofortified bananas in collaboration with um, national program in Uganda called Nation uh, NARO. Um, and that product actually should be, has the same timeline. 
And are you uh, thinking about doing any uh, co-transformations with biofortification and disease fortification into the same background? Yeah, we, that's all in plan, but, but we haven't started that yet. Yeah, it's easy to come up with ideas when you don't have to do them. So I <laughs> We need to look for the funding before we start that that approach because both both projects has proof of concept so like we have proof of concept for xenthomonas wilt resistance and and they have con- uh, they have proof of concept for for high provitamin a and so i think both the technologies are proven and and then it should be means ideally it should be stacked so dr <laughs> tripathi if if people wanted to learn more about the projects going on in your laboratory or uh, any social media face for IATA, where would they look? So I think you can get more information on the IATA website. That is www.iata.org. And IATA is on Twitter as well. And then I think, yes, I'm on ResearchGate and I'm also on LinkedIn. So those are the some social media we can get more information about my publication and about the projects about your many publications i i I learned about you i've known about your work for a long time but i've never really dug in until i had to do a uh, presentation for a plant pathology class or plant plant pathology club and i chose banana diseases because of all of the really innovative transgenic approaches that have happened for so many different diseases And it was exciting because it's kind of an unusual situation where you have a world food staple, many different diseases, and many different solutions. And uh, for this reason, I really wanted to present that. And you are the star of the show. Thank you very much. So thank you very much for taking the time to spend with me today. That's Dr. Lena Tripathi coming to us all the way from IITA in Nairobi, Kenya. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Now, since the reboot only a few weeks ago, we've seen tremendous increases in the number of listeners, and we thank you for that. You're obviously telling friends and family, retweeting episodes, and sharing them in social media space. That's great because you are the amplifier to our little microphone. Now, if you have questions you'd like to hear answered here, send a tweet to at TalkingBiotech or send an email to TalkingBiotech at gmail.com. And remember, this pirate ship is 100% supported personally by Kevin Colville, and no outside contributions are ever accepted. I always tell him it's a bonehead move because if everybody sent them a penny, he could cover his annual costs in a week or two. That means lots of folks are downloading the production and enjoying the content. The amazing stories of plant biology and new technology open our eyes to where our food comes from, as well as where it can go. As moving innovation to application requires communication. We now return to Talking Biotech already in progress yeah thanks Vern so because of the long introduction today before I spoke with Dr. Tripathi I'm going to delay doing more questions for uh, until next week one important point about Dr. Tripathi's discussion is that the uh, 
African continent does have a large number of different uh, varieties that are available. She corrected me when I said that these were uh, large monocultures, as I said in the introduction. What she reminds us is that many of these areas don't have the necessary propagation ability to be able to make monocultures. You're dealing with what's there. You're playing with the cards that are dealt, and there's many different varieties that are there. It probably has a lot to do with also separating the timing of fruit set and uh, spreading out you know, what a farmer would have in terms of immediate access to a crop. So um, it, it's important for us to think about bananas because I do think bananas may be that gateway crop to larger acceptance. We're looking at maybe two or three, maybe four years out before the Xanthomonas wilt bananas are widely deployed and also uh, the um, beta-carotene enriched bananas. So these are pretty close. These are coming along and um, they don't have much to do, which was refreshing to hear her say, with Western activism that it seems like at least in Kenya, things are pretty good and that the technologies stand a good chance at being widely accepted and help the people they were designed to serve. So knowing about bananas, why they are so important, again, the fourth most important crop in the developing world, knowing why they're important, understanding the tremendous number of threats that may limit production, and then understanding how genetic engineering solutions are really the best tool to solve those problems. It makes an excellent point for anybody communicating the science. It allows for us to have an example that when someone talks about, you know, corn and Roundup Ready and BTC, hold on a second. Let's go back and talk about how this technology can help people. And Dr. Tripathi's example is an excellent example of that. Send your questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com um, or send them via Twitter to at talkingbiotech. I'm Kevin Fulta. I thank you so much for listening. It's wonderful to share science with you every week and look forward to talking to you again next time on Talking Biotech Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at Calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.